Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. As uh, I guess has become a habit of mine, uh, I'll let you know a little bit about how we arrived at today's program. Um, you know, it's, it's back to the same thing again, where you start isn't necessarily where you land. When putting together, you know, something, and today was, was actually quite unusual for me. Um, there were several different things that came up, quotes, during the last few weeks that stuck in my mind. And just, I, I've been going over them and, and over them and looking for a commonality as to, okay, are we back on this thing where I've got three different subjects and what do they have to do with each other and, and pulling it together? And, you know, they're gonna serve more as opening remarks this morning rather than the meat of this thing. But I'd like to go over them with you because there's something to be said to everybody here um, that come from these. And the first one is from David Asherick. Many of you know David Asherick. Stephanie, you know who David Ashrick is. <laughs> That's okay. I didn't need to call you out. Okay, he's he's on table talk with Ty Gibson and, and those and those folks. He's an evangelist, and he told a story last week or a couple weeks ago about a reasonably large church. I mean, reasonably by by Adventist standards, it would be called a mega church. Five thousand to seven thousand members. You ever been to an Adventist church with that many members in it? Probably not. The same pastor had been pastoring there for a number of years. Uh, quite a few, as a matter of fact. I don't. I think the quote is actually a couple years old. And he, you know, somebody brought this to him. But on this church's webpage or their website, all of the sermons are on there and available. Or at least there's a place to click for them. And if you click on the folder or whatever it was in there that was for the 2008 sermons, a message popped up on the screen. And it said this, all sermons before 2008 have been removed. Not for content, but for tone. Think about that. Not for the message that was being preached, but the tone behind the message. And that caused me to go back and think about my life and how my tone, my tone has sometimes been wrong. And the tone with which you present the gospel or, lit, or, or even live the gospel, the tone, the way that you, the way that we, we carry ourselves and present the gospel can make the difference between whether somebody is moved and converted by it or not. The tone, speak the truth all day long. Tone's not right, not gonna communicate. Then Ty Gibson, Part of that gang that sits around that table, 
for table talk, and another quote that I pulled from him. <clears throat> and if you ever watch table talk, um, David Ashrick has a bad habit of interrupting. So it took a long while to extract this from it, but this is what, what Ty said. If you are comfortable in every respect, in every detail of what you believed last year right now, or your configured understanding of God as the way you relate to people, if you're completely satisfied in exactly the same place right now as you were one year ago, two years ago, five years ago, the truth is you are not actually looking carefully at the complexity of the beautiful subject the scriptures portray. I saw Deborah smiling. She's heard that quote. Maybe some of the others are too. Oh, I don't want to be there. <laughs> I don't want to be there. And really kind of the only way that you can get there is you stop reading. Or you start reading the Bible like a novel instead of reading the Bible as a spiritual book and unpacking the various things that you read. So a caution for all of us. We need to be continually growing in our faith. And that means that our views change over time, mature over time. And then finally, from someone some of you may recognize, and it may, may actually be a surprise to you that I bring this man up in, in an Adventist church, but Chuck Swindoll. And those of you that have heard Chuck Swindoll preach, understand Chuck Swindoll's tone. And I'm not saying that it's bad, it's just try to imagine him saying this. Secular methods are now used to market the church of all things. And the emphasis has turned from sound orthodox theology to a feel-good philosophy. Where is the great uh, where the great goal is to offend no one, certainly no one off the street, for after all, they may lose interest and never come back. And I had to think about that for a while. I thought about it. I suppose the impression that came back was from the Holy Spirit as to just what this is communicating. You see, non-believers, if they come through that door, or those that have left the church and come through the door, but have been out there in the world and experienced the things of the world and the entertainment in the world and all the things that are on the world, when they walk through that door, they are not looking for more of what they can get outside the church. They're coming in because they're interested to find something different. They don't like what's going on with their life and they want to change and they want to hear something different. And if they walk through that door and experience the same kind of worldly stuff inside the church building, they're not going to come back. So the notion of turning our methods to the methods of the world to attract these folks is not in fact keeping them, but sending them right back where they came from. Let us never, ever worry about having to change our methods to be like the world 
to bring somebody in. And that's backed up, by the way, by a, a study that was also done by, by Barnes Group a number of years ago, uh, and a, uh, a uh, article, I believe it was in Time Magazine a number of years ago, too, about what people look for in churches. They're looking for something different. And whether it's conservative or not is not the point. The point is, is what's being taught and what's being shared. So what did these things really have to do with each other? Well, they're all problems. Sometimes they're the kind of problem that you run into when your focus is gone. As a matter of fact, your focus has to have shifted in order for these things to have happened, to experience these things. So it's like, okay, so Lord, how do you want this addressed? Go to the cross. Go to the cross. If the cross is at the center of our thinking, if our eyes are firmly affixed on the Lord Jesus Christ and we keep him there, these kinds of things and many more like them will not happen. And when people walk through the front door of our church, they will find and experience something completely different. That big hole that they have in their heart and they've been carrying around, trying to fill, will start to be filled up. Okay. It worked. That's great. All right. By the way, I, I also want to, um, just a little something. I heard Jim Caviezel speak once, and it's just, I guess I can't, can't get off the topic until I say this. But Jim Caviezel also made a statement when doing the presentation at this church that we went to to hear him speak, is that we should look different in the world. We should appear and be different than the world if we have Christ in our hearts. Okay. <clears throat> we are typically moving on to you know, kind of the second part of this, and the actually the meat of what's going to happen today. As we typically take a pa passage of Scripture, we'll do this in Sabbath school and in other settings, and we do what we call unpack it. We'll unpack the Scripture and try to draw out from it the various things that are in that scripture. We're going to do something just a little bit different today. I'm going to take a contemporary hymn. And I, and I call it a hymn because of the message that this really conveys. It's kind of in the spirit of traditional hymns, but yet with a modern flavor to it. And the music is Celtic, and of course, all things Celtic for me when I hear that music, I love it. Amen. <laughs> so any of you that are Welsh, Scottish, or Irish in here will have some kind of an idea of, of how that music pulls something up from somewhere that, you know, sometimes we're missing. So the name of the hymn, and you've heard it before, and... and and in case it rains, I brought a paper towel. Because this thing 
almost always inevitably brings tears to my eyes. It's how deep the Father's love for us by Stuart Townend. What I want to do today, we typically, when we're going to go ahead and unpack a scripture, we read the scripture package, passage, and then we start to unpack it, and then we, then we refer to other Bible verses, and we do, do things like that. Well, rather than reading the words to the song, I want you to take a moment here, and Andrew is going to play How Deep the Father's Love for Us. I want you to just hear what it's saying to you before we get into the next part of this, okay? Andrew, please, go ahead. Bring the sons to glory. 
why should I gain? I like a couple of young people, 10 plus maybe. Go back and see Andrew and grab a couple microphones, please. Okay, a couple of adults that are feeling young. <laughs> Just need one for each side. kind of a verse at a time or stands at a time. I'm going to project them up on the screen. And below them is going to be a Bible verse. And I want one of you to read the Bible verse. And I also want to give you the, the opportunity, if you so wish, to be comment upon what you just read. Okay, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Would you please read Romans 8, verses 38 through 39? It's Mark. not the right verse, too. <laughs> for I am persuaded that neither death no life, no angels, no principalities, no powers, no things present, no things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Did you have another verse you said? No, that's one of my favorite verses. Did you have anything you wanted to add? I just want to comment, um, the reason why I love this verse is um, when facing adversity, uh, when going through that process, you can really feel um, separated. Um, you know, you feel like you're praying to God and your prayers are not going through. But this verse reminds us that none of those things matter. God loves you. Whichever way you come out, um, as long as you're a believer, um, there's nothing that can separate you from Amen. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Someone please recite John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. So, there is nothing impossible that we cannot reach, that we can achieve in the name of Jesus Christ. He's so powerful. And if we are with Him, 
nothing will be against us because he can cover everything. We just need to trust in one person that his name is power, powerful in himself. His name is Jesus Christ. Anyone else? Stirring loss, the father turns his face away. Would somebody read Matthew 27, verse 46? And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sakatani, this is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To me, I see a display of what Jesus had to go through for me. And so I understand the power of his love. He was willing to be separated. So I would be. Anyone else? As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. From my favorite chapter of the book of Isaiah 53, will somebody please read verse 5? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. It just reminds me again of how great indeed his love for us is that he would be willing to, to receive not only the physical suffering, which was terrible, but Beyond that, the spiritual, uh, mental suffering is worse. And uh, he was experiencing the punishment of the loss for everyone who has ever lived on the face of the earth. That whole load of guilt and woe came down upon him on the cross. He took it all so that everyone could be saved. Amen. Any others? Behold the man upon a cross. Matthew 27, verse 35, the first part of the verse. Would someone please just state it? Then they crucified him. And every time I think of that crucifixion, I would like to make a comment. Uh, I would like to make a comment. <coughs> Ellen G. White 
say that we should at least contemplate one hour on a daily basis about the Jesus Christ crucifixion, about what he did for us. And we do every every day. So we never forget forget his love, you know, his profound deep love that he has on us, you know. And so I think we should think about it and we should read about it. We should uh, especially read about about it in the spirit of prophecy. And Ellen G. White write a lot of past verses, uh, a lot of get gems regarding this uh, uh, Isaiah 53 about this time. Yeah. 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 My sin upon his shoulders. Again from Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, would someone please read verse 6. Amen. 
Ashamed, I hear his, I hear my, ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Someone please read Isaiah 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we and we hid, hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Um, me, I feel that this verse, well, first it's a prophecy, because it's from Isaiah, but it's saying how the world will always reject Jesus before we come. Anyone else like to add? like to add, um, and it, it has to do with what it says, I hear my walking voice. I, I, I find it difficult. I really cannot wrap my mind around um, Jesus going through all this, um, dying for me, even before he knew I would ever come to that place where I accept that gift. But he went right ahead and offered that gift even before I passed for it. Peter 2, verse 24, and Isaiah 53, verse 5 is a repeat. You can read that as well if you wish. It's, it, it kind of 
makes me feel worse, you know, that I was the one that held him there, my sins. And when I think about what he gave for me as a sinner, it, it breaks my heart, you know, to actually think about it, to perceive it, to receive what he gave for me before I was even a thought. It, it just humbles me so much that he would think that much of me to want to give his life for me. His dying breath has brought me life. John 10, verse 11, the second part. Someone please read that. Thank you. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It reminds me how committed is to all, to everyone. We're all his sheep. Even those we see do terrible things. And he works and does everything that he can to bring us all back into the fold. Anyone else? I know that it is finished. Please, someone read John 19, verse 30, the second half. Jesus said, it's, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. John 19, 30. It just gives me hope. It is finished. Like all the plan of salvation, people hear it, so we can be saved. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power. No wisdom. Will somebody read Philippians 3, verse 7? I'll read it. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So what that means to me is that because I was among the scoffers, because I am healed. There is nothing that I can account to myself. It is all because of Christ. And so, in fact, any of those things that I would have counted are lost. They are damaged to me. They are, were a hindrance to me. Those things that I would have 
looked upon, education or wealth or any of those things, they are hindrance. My only hope is for the sake of Christ. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Philippians 3, 8. Amen. I will help my daughter <laughs> explain that. You know, I don't think any materialistic thing in this world can offer us what Jesus can offer. It's the most important thing in life. We have Jesus. We have everything. All the other things doesn't have any value. You know, um, some people realize that early. Some people. They live 60 years, 70 years when they realize this statement, you know, of this verse. Um, but I think everybody should understand what uh, the Bible is trying to teach us here. That there is nothing more important than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ should be the center of our life. And if we pursue something else, nothing in this world has a value. But Jesus. Amen. Thank you. His death and resurrection, Mark 9, verse 31. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. Romans 8, verse 17.
If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Romans 8, 17. I can't imagine being heirs of Christ. Only in my imagination, as Den said. We're not worthy. As the song said in the beginning, we're wretched. And he died for sinners who are wretches. Even the best among us are still wretches compared to the high standard of God's calling. And we are here today because his spirit called you to fellowship one with another, each one of you. And we need to share the bond of heirship. We're all children of the same father. Isn't that beautiful? But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Somebody please read Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Sounds very much like what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet this body, this life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. now. I'm going to invite Dane up in a second. <clears throat> the Spirit has spoken through a number of you today. We've seen this song, a song unpacked, and how much is in this brief song. But now, when you sing that hymn, that song, it's going to communicate to you like it had never communicated before. So what I want to do to close the service is Dane is going to come up here and we're going to reverently sing this song together in a spirit of meditation we think about what we've talked about this morning. And then when we are finished, I will not give a benediction. The singing of this song is the benediction, and I would ask you to, then reverently as you wish, and I'll leave the worship. Um, 
area or, or take up your, your conversations in, in that kind of a tone. I'd like you to carry this. I'd like us to carry this through the rest of the day. Dane, would you please come? And Andrew, you've got the con on the slide. Uh,
Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.